0: Hello, my name is Larry Dobrow, I'm MMM's Senior Editor, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, which is back after a couple weeks away. I hope nobody missed us all that much. Um, Today's guest is one of our very few repeat guests. We have Dr. John White, who's the Chief Medical Officer at WebMD, and we're going to get to him in a minute. But first, just a couple of quick plugs. Uh, We have our first ever MMM Online Expo, which is going to explore a bunch of topics, among them the roles of the nurse practitioner and physician's assistant, um, a little bit about clinical trial recruitment, and more. Um, There will be trivia and giveaways, and come on, everybody loves trivia and giveaways, so look for that on on Thursday, July 23rd at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. Um, You can sign up at mmnm-online.com. We are also looking for submissions for our Create Health Equity contest. Um, it's, an ad, it's an initiative advocating for equal outcomes in healthcare, and we're asking you to share your best creative around the topic. And also, we are having a cover contest for our September Hall of Fame issue. Um, we're asking the industry to create cover designs that celebrate the inspirational women who lead it. So please uh, submit early, submit often. All right,
1: let's get to John.
0: John, thank you so much for joining us here
1: again. Larry, thanks for having me. I, I, I didn't know I was one of a select few. To be repeat you know? yes so so thank you <laughs>
0: we, we we've only extended so many extra invitations so you know you're you, you can probably put that on your resume somewhere i suppose right i might <laughs> i will <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah so you know i you first joined us um at the very beginning of march of this year which of course feels like it was about six or seven years ago yeah. um before you know we start talking about you know a bunch of topics around health media and coronavirus and WebMD. I, I guess my first question for you is, how are you? How is everybody in the WebMD family? Um, you know, we're a
1: good couple months into this. How's everybody holding up? You know, we're all doing pretty well. You know, I have to say it does feel like years since we last spoke. I feel like when everyone's at home, we lose some concept of, of time. The weekends kind of morph in to weekdays, you know, everyone's using a groundhog, you know, analogy, you know, every day <laughs> seems the same. Um, but, you know, we're all safe. Uh, it's largely, you know, working remotely, you know, with some exceptions depending upon one's job and, and where one lives. Um, but we're all busier than ever, as, as I'm sure you are. You know, this is really the the type of story that's once a century so we want to make sure we get it right and that we provide you know our readers and people that come to our site the best available information that's going to impact their lives so we're we're all doing okay luckily you know it's
0: it's funny you mentioned being busier than ever um i agree you know we've been enormously busy and i guess that's one of the aspects maybe that we didn't expect, you know. You kind of figure, okay, you know, you get that hour or whatever it is of commuting yeah. back. You get a little bit of extra time back. Right. You know, it's going in. It's going into the uh, work bucket. You know, the whole, you know, when you're right. home all the time, there's really no such
1: thing as work-home balance. Right. I thought I was going to read books, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe write a book. And I and I. I oh, I aren't you read it? It. I haven't read any books. <laughs> I don't I don't even get to do Netflix binge. So uh yeah, you're right. It all morphs together.
0: That's funny. Yeah, you know, I, I had i I had like two or three books laid out, you know, about nineteen programs I'd like to watch. Maybe that'll happen
1: sometime in the
0: you know, later in the decade. Yes. You know? When, yeah, when, when we, we go back to work. When when yeah. we go back to
1: work. Uh physically. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I think the same thing. Like I'll do the, you know, when things get back to normal, so we'll see. <laughs> um,
0: you know, you you already alluded to this a little bit, but um, h- how well was WebMD able to make that shift to all virtual all the time? Um, tell me a little bit about the, I don't want to call it the shutting down process, but, you know, maybe the process of transitioning over to, you know, everybody being mostly in an office to everybody being almost exclusively at home.
1: Right. And it is, as you know, our uh, headquarters for WebMD uh, are in New York City, although also there's an office in Atlanta and some other places, you know, around the country. And then we also have Medscape, which has offices around the world, including London and Paris. And, you know, much of that was also, you know, mandated, you know, fairly suddenly that, that people could not come in to the office if, if their you know, mission wasn't critical. But I think there was an awareness that one, we had to keep um our employees safe and also to keep the community safe as well. That's priority one. And, you know, much of us are online most of the day anyway, <laughs> in terms of, you know, our direct work, <laughs> in terms of doing email, doing calls. Uh I mean now the default is Zoom, as you know, as opposed to in the yeah. past it was in person or if we had a call, we would still do it. By audio, so I think there was a tremendous adaptability uh, at WebMD as well as you know other companies to respond to it, to keep employees safe, to give them the you know tools needed. I'm not an IT person, so I don't know all about you know how they made sure everyone's computers and everything were going to work. But you know, even in my role, you know, I needed uh, a new computer based on all these video shows that I've been doing and. You know, they were able to send me a new computer and able to do everything virtually in terms of transferring all the information. So there's really been this tremendous, um, you know, everyone pulling together and doing what's necessary and and adapting and and giving people the tools uh, to to work at home uh, remotely while keeping everybody safe while still performing, you know, our duties to, to keep the business running.
0: You know, it's funny. The IT people—they're—they—they are some of the heroes in this. I'm not sure they got called Absolutely. out enough. They—they uh, kept—they kept, they kept a lot of businesses running at a time when who knows yeah. if they
1: would have been able to otherwise. Larry, it's just it's imagine up, how many calls. Just imagine how many calls they get from employees. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm calling them. I'm sure everyone else is. Like, how, how do they manage? They're not just getting <laughs> well, the calls.
0: And the, and they're also getting calls. like. Right now, I can't hear the volume on my computer. It's like, well, is your computer <laughs> yeah. muted? Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, thank you. you know, so yeah. they're not getting, you know, you know all, not all the calls are on the same level of expertise needed. Was there a moment when, you know, you and WebMD kind of realized, like, all right, you know, we've got this working virtually thing down? Um, for us, it was, you know, we were able to do a full large issue without ever once being in the same room with each other. And it was eye-opening. I mean, on one hand, it was kind of depressing in that, wow, human contact is, is not that necessary to do what we do. But on the other hand, it was like, hey, you know, we can do this. You know, uh, necessity, mother of invention, et cetera, et cetera.
1: You know, I in many ways, I, I think it's the same in, in every day in terms of putting out important content. You know, part of it might be is because we have different offices, you know, around the country, you know, especially for WebMD in New York and Atlanta. So we're used to talking, interacting with people that, you know, even before COVID, were not literally in the same building as we were. And even within New York City, there are uh, different buildings, particularly, you know, Medscape and WebMD, and there's been a lot of acquisitions. So we were used to the idea of working with colleagues that we didn't necessarily see face-to-face. So I, I think that helped tremendously, but, you know, I think where we saw it was, you know, in the continuing production of content, you know, on a daily basis, often hourly, that the machine kept running. And and that was important and demonstrated the ability uh, to get things done.
0: Um, during our last conversation, you know, it was, you know, it was at the very, very early stages of this. I think there might've been that first outbreak in Westchester, New York, mm-hmm. um, obviously Hong Kong, and you know China was pretty yeah. well locked down at that point. Wuhan, um, but you you were talking about the way WebMD had endeavored to cover it, and you know there was a daily editorial meeting, and mm-hmm. you know it was almost it was very linear and you know very scheduled. Um, did that change? Um, t- tell me a little bit about how, as the crisis intensified here in the United States, WebMD adapted to cover it as broadly and as uh, thoroughly as you did.
1: You know, we have at least daily one daily meeting. We have multiple meetings. And early on, it seemed that it was almost hourly. And, you know, I have to give credit to Bob Briscoe, uh, the CEO of Internet Brands, which owns WebMD and Medscape, as well as several other companies, who really set in motion that we weren't just going to cover the story, but we were really going to lead in the coverage. And impact people's lives, and, and that's why the show that I've been working on, called Coronavirus in Context, is how to put it all together. So, it, it, you know, in many ways, I'd be talking to him multiple times a day, texting multiple times a day, as well as you know, our entire you know senior leadership in terms of getting the right editorial direction, but also at the same time managing you know employee health and wellness and you know, Larry, I think about it, you know, when everyone else, you know, is, you know, publishing content as well, you know, our goal was to say, and, and I still remember, you know, the story when we're trying to figure out the pathology of the disease and everyone saying it's an acute respiratory distress syndrome. That was the conventional wisdom early on. And, and mm-hmm. we found a physician, an emergency medicine physician, uh, Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel, who said, you know what, this doesn't make sense that all these people are dying on ventilators. You know, maybe there's some component of high altitude sickness, or maybe the oxygen, you know, and ventilator ventilator protocol settings are wrong. So we actually gave him voice through an interview. And, you know, within days it had over half a million hits. Um and really created a dialogue. And that's where I think through this constant Discussion, so more than one time a day, you know, early on to not just have, you know, important content, but also to have content that's going to create dialogue and debate and that's going to be out there and really help in terms of the treatment of COVID and impact people's lives. So that's what we benefited from, from having, you know, all these conversations and really leadership, you know, at the most senior level of the company.
0: Um, it's interesting you brought up uh, coronavirus in context, and that was certainly one of the things um, I wanted to talk to you about. I think it's a wonderful show, and I think mm-hmm. that context was largely missing from the discussion, especially in the early days of it. But uh, you know, since the show has evolved a little bit, I mean, you know, you've talked, you know, you talked with people at the CDC, and obviously you covered the scientific mm-hmm. angle extremely thoroughly. But there was an also episode- also an episode, I think maybe about a month ago, with uh, Deepak Chopra, where you talk a little bit about the emotional impact
1: mm-hmm.
0: of, of everything that we've everything that we've gone through um what was that the goal at the outset did you kind of figure that you would start kind of breaching off beyond the science or was it okay we're going to
1: try to do this in every way shape or form possible yeah well you know i'll tell you i've done 100 plus episodes already i'm probably about at 110. so you think about it, since march i've interviewed over 100 people we literally do it every day uh some days over some weeks, you know, over the weekend, and some days, multiple interviewers. But I will tell you, and I think it's partly because as a physician, I probably have some biases. So early on, you know, it was all the government experts, you know, I worked in government, all the physicians, you know, the Surgeon General, you know, the head of the American Cancer Society, the head of the American Diabetes Association, you know, senior scientists at Mayo and Harvard. And I did feel after maybe 20 interviews, I felt we needed to cover these other aspects as well. And it was actually Ariana Huffington and Deepak Chopra that wanted to talk about wellness and resilience. And, you know, it's funny because I I talked to other psychiatrists and physicians about it, and in many ways it was very clinical. And when I talked to, you know, Deepak, I still remember, so it was probably a good interview, you know, this concept of stop, you know, these five things that you do, you know, relating to those letters uh, and in terms of of breathing. And, you know, I didn't think necessarily it would go that way from the beginning, but it really has evolved. So, you know, we have those senior government officials, we have those top scientists and researchers, but then we also in some ways have, you know, these non-clinicians, some, you know, cultural icons, we also interviewed Tim Tebow, which was a fun interview. And some people are kind of like, well, why, you know, Tim Tebow? But he talked a lot about purpose and resilience. And it's important to hear that perspective as well. You know, we've been interviewing some of the interviewers like Judy Woodruff uh, mm-hmm. yep. and Dr. LaPoose, you know, at, at NBC, really trying to understand how's the media doing? How would they rate themselves in terms of, you know, is it too much doom and gloom? Are we giving people, you know, the right information? So to be honest, Larry, I think early on we kind of felt the traditional model. We're going to get the top government people. We're going to get the top scientists, uh, which we did and still do. But then we also need it to evolve and include these other voices that typically would not uh, be augmented, you know, at, at WebMD or you know even in your publications as well. But they served as a powerful voice to really put into context and have dialogue around some of these other issues.
0: Uh, how challenging was this? Um, you know, not on the level like technical or anything like that, but how challenging was this for you personally to do, you know, I mean you said about 110, 115 you know, 15 episodes, you know, in. Um, the the person that was writing the coronavirus virus briefing for our company, you know, was doing it daily. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. anytime we've had to swap people out just because emotionally it's so exhausting. Yeah. And if you know you keep if you keep digging for news. You know, a large percent of it is not going
1: to be good. Um, how, right. what kind of a toll did it take on you? You know, I I joke to people I do it all day, every day, <laughs> while also doing my day job. <laughs> you because know? we all had other we all had other duties besides COVID. So here we are, you know, addressing it. And you know, I, I will tell you, um, you know, I try to stick to you know the facts and not to focus you know too much on doom and gloom but clearly I watch the news a lot I read the news a lot you know to stay informed but Larry you know you know I've said this to a, a, a few close friends it, it's really a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to try to impact the coverage of you know the biggest story not just health story but the biggest story literally in a century and do it in a way that's going to inform people help them manage it and you know hopefully save lives by giving them the right information and help public health experts make policy decisions you don't get those opportunities a lot in life so i really have taken this as a chance to have an impact on a scale that i otherwise might not have had in my career. So you know, I try to stay uh, positive. I have two young boys, Um, you know, kids always keep you grounded. (laughs) They're not interested in, in, you know, who I'm talking to that day. They don't really care, but you know, I'll tell you, they do care when I, when I, when I put their artwork in my bookshelf (laughs) And, and I mix it out with, uh, People have been noting they're like, you know, oh, I like that dolphin logo. And I'm like, it's a jigsaw. So my kids <laughs> do like, you know, seeing that in a video. So they keep me grounded and keep everything, you know, in, in good humor. But it's back to that idea that I, I know you and many others, you know, in our field, in, in terms of publishing news, are, are really trying to do more than that um and, and have this real impact. In, in terms of truly having a focus on public health in a way that we might not have thought we were going to have, but is 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 critically important.
0: Absolutely, you know it's funny. Um, yeah, you know, this is obviously off topic, but you know we've talked about the fact both of us have young uh, young boys and everything. Mm-hmm. My kids are actually not that upset when everything you know, everybody was at home, but when they lost mm-hmm. their soccer and baseball seasons. That's when they were mm. really not that happy. They were like, wait a second, it's okay if we don't have school, but, you know, once we lose our sport, <laughs> right. like, well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand, kid. I, I wish I could help you, you know?
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. And that's, you know, what I get concerned about at times, you know, how do we make sure that our children are staying resilient? And in, in many ways, I think especially for younger kids, they do tend to be, you know, more resilient. And things that bother us, you know, may not bother them, you know, as much.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're not, you know, they're not watching the news, you know, they're not seeing what right. you know, Dr. Larry Brilliant has to say. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's, so, it's, it's sobering. I mean, to a certain extent, I think we talked about this last time, but to a certain extent, we've all become COVID journalists right now. You know, we might be covering yeah. health care in a larger sense, but, you know, if you're not covering COVID and if you're not covering health equity, I mean, th- those are the defining stories of our, you know, of our recent time. So uh, yeah, Absolutely. it's not it's not something that's easy to duck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you touched on this a little bit, but you know certainly you've been providing so much coverage. Who, who have you been looking to? Who in your mind have been the best coronavirus era follows? Whether social media, traditional media, you know people popping up on TV from time to time. Who do you think has uh, done well
1: informing us and you know taking that mission really seriously? You know I really look at a mix of different publications in the morning as i'm sure um you do in terms of i I like you know having been in the dc world for a long time um you know i like ones that are you know stat news um you know i do look at the new york times and the washington post you know what i particularly look there is for me i look at the graphs and the data points. So I want to look for myself what, where we are on those curves in terms of the number of deaths, number of cases, both, you know, nationally, as well as, um, you know, locally. I certainly look in in my local area in Virginia, and and I watch, you know, a lot of different TV shows, but on Twitter, you know, I I do like to um, look at what, uh, Scott Gottlieb often, you know, talked about as a former FDA commissioner from a regulatory perspective. You know, Eric Topol always has some great charts and graphs out Man, there and comments <laughs> and on, but I also, you know, enjoy reading, um, you know, tweets and commentary from Gil Bash um, who's at fin who always has a great perspective in terms of population health and and policy, you know, I, I follow a woman named Dr. Jen Caudle, uh, cause I'm also interested in, you know, following those folks and, and listening to those people that, you know, may not be um, the most, you know, common names, like a, a Scott or Sanjay Gupta. And I think that's important yeah. to look for people that are in the trenches that are actually still seeing patients. I think that's very important. So I really, you know, have a mix that that I try to uh, look at and follow. I I wouldn't say there is, you know, one specific person that I follow all the time, but really, you know, looking through a mix and there's, you know, four or five uh, that I mentioned that I I tend to focus on, you know, a little more just because I feel um, they often have interesting bits of information. But then I also like to read, uh, The comments that people write there, because I find that
0: very helpful
1: as well. And unfortunately, some people tend to be very, you know, antagonistic uh, about it. And and I also follow Dr. Adams, Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General's personal account, you know, as well. You know, sometimes there's a, you know, a little more uh, context, you know, in there. And I always think it's interesting to hear what people are doing, you know, in their personal lives as well in terms of managing risk. So it's really a mix. But but I think, you know, those folks uh do provide, you know, very good commentary.
0: Um, you know, you alluded to this when you talked about the comments, but you know, certainly there's been uh I, I can't remember when it was, but it was early early in all of this, and somebody came out with like, well, there's also a misinformation pandemic. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. you know, you have your current role at WebMD, you know, you're a you're a physician, you've worked at the FDA, um, you've worked at Discovery. Um, h- how tough was it for you to kind of I don't want to say sit back, but, you know, seeing so much of the information that was out there that wasn't entirely accurate at first, um, you know, how do you respond to that? How do you go about, you know, correct, I don't want to say correcting, Mm -hmm. you know, if you try to correct every wrong piece of information on the internet, you know, probably going to be a little late for dinner, I would suppose, you know, but, uh, you know, what what was your response when you saw so much misinformation uh, get out there into the, uh,
1: into the mainstream, much Mm -hmm. less into the fringes? You know, Larry, it's still out there and it you know it makes me mad um they still talk out there about ways you're going to cure coronavirus and you know that's simply not true remember early on when they were saying some people on the internet were saying blacks can't get you know coronavirus completely you know off If anything we've seen the disproportional impact on people of color and minority communities um and and i think sometimes the challenge with physicians are we think we're just going to put, you know, information out there, and people are going to come to it. And we parse our words all carefully, and you know, in masks this is a great example. Why is there so much misinformation about the wearing of masks? I saw a tweet the other day that said, uh, and, and I thought it was great because it talked about how the doctors are debating p-values on studies relating to the use of masks, while people are putting up nonsense on Facebook. And this one said. That the medical community is dying because they're wearing masks, and you won't read about it because there's a huge cover-up about it, and, and that had like a million, you know, hits, and and that's part of the challenge. So we need to get out there and correct it, but at the same time we can't give it too much oxygen because as you know in search. If there's a lot of engagement, even if there's negative engagement in terms of crazy nonsense, it's going to rise up in terms of optimization. And I think Google and and Facebook and others are trying to address that. But I have gotten very mad in terms of what I've been reading. So, you know, on our end, we're thinking, how do we address that? And, you know, this brings up a concept you and I have talked about in the past about health literacy and health communication. So, you know, we've done a lot of infographics, you know, how to wear a mask, how not to wear a mask. You know, we have videos, uh, short form videos, you know, interviews, we have it in in text. So it's really been recognizing the misinformation out there, maybe not giving the specifics of the misinformation that people are saying, but, you know, readdressing it the right way uh, to go about consuming information uh, that you know, people can consume in different platforms. You know, we saw that in terms of what's the role of disinfectants as well, and whether they should be ingested or not, and, you know, increase in, you know, calls to the poison centers. And, and, you know, we were out there putting things on our homepage, et cetera, you know, really trying to correct it. But it, it really makes me angry and sad when I see the misinformation out there, because there's a lot of folks, for whatever reason, you know, want to believe that are going to believe that and it, it could cause harm and, and that's the real problem
0: you know um you know obviously we've talked about health literacy a bunch of times the two of us and i i almost wonder um in, in a way do we come out of this as you know as a country slightly more health literate than before i mean to a certain extent you almost have to be health literate. Um, one of my uncles was always kind of a, eh, if I'm sick, I'll go to the doctor. I'm not going to read or deal with any of this fancy stuff. And then, you know, he tested positive and, you know, he spent some time in the hospital. He came out of this thing basically saying like, I'm not going to be, for lack of a more elegant way to put it, a dumbass anymore <laughs> about mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the things that were going on. I mean, is, is that a possibility or does it have to hit that close to home before some people will truly, I don't know, get the message?
1: I mean, sadly, it is. But unfortunately, some people have not had the opportunity to recognize um, the poor choice. So, you know, it was reported on the news recently, you know, a couple of times, how, especially in younger populations, I'm going to define that as, you know, less than 35, you know, 40, you know, some people... You know, have been having, you know, COVID parties where they want to see, you know, who catches it. And there have been instances where people have caught it, have died, have had serious complications. And those that have survived, whenever they're interviewed, they always say, you know, obviously they wish, you know, they had not made that choice. But my concern is, you know, where are they getting the information that that might be a good idea? Where are they getting this, you know, misinformation that it's not a serious condition that has, you know, significant morbidity, you know, and mortality, you know, sure, it's at the older uh, age end of the spectrum, but it doesn't mean that other people can't catch it. And why would you do that? Why would you expose yourself to that? And unfortunately, you know, as we talked about, there is a lot of misinformation out there and we all, you know, we're not the police. We can't, you know, change everything that's on the web. You know, all we can do is put out the best content, put it out in different ways, try to optimize it in search, and, and be a leading voice out there to impact people's lives.
0: Uh, what have been the most, I don't know, I don't know trafficked or circulated or whatever else? Um, have it been, has it been your videos? Has it been some of the tech stories? Has it been some of the infographic treatments? Or has it been some combination? Um, what, what do you think has resonated most with WebMD audiences in terms of uh, a format for uh, COVID information.
1: Infographics always does well. What's also interesting though about say my own you know Coronavirus in Context show you know they tend to be you know 10 minutes 12 minutes which is kind of long for a video which is not usually what people consume but we've been having great consumption and great completion rate uh, on these videos And, and I think it shows that people are interested in consuming this type of information and are going to stay engaged because there's a lot to cover. You know, what I've been interested in is working with our team. What are people searching? And you see it change, you know, over time. So, you know, in March and April, people were searching signs and symptoms. They were searching fever, cough, shortness of breath. You know, then they were searching, you know, stay at home orders. A lot of search around anxiety and anxiety medicine. And, and that's what we don't you know, recognize in terms of the stress, the the PTSD that some people, you know, are experiencing. And there's been a lot of coverage and a lot of search on that. Um, And, you know, in terms of mental health, there's more around search around mental health now, rather than, you know, cough and fever, you know, and shortness of breath. So it's important to also understand the information that people are wanting to consume but but i'm happy to say that we've seen you know tremendous um consumption of our COVID content and we're very proud of of being able to do that and being able to lead So when everyone was saying you know go get an antibody test you know we were talking about you know what were the challenges with antibody testing and how was it really going to change your behavior And it's hard because you can't really give a whole biostatistics lesson in terms of sensitivity (laughs) and specificity, which can be hard to understand. But we were out there still talking about that early on. You know, we had a great interview with Dr. Schaffner recently from Vanderbilt, which has gotten tremendous uh, consumption in terms of watching the video where he talks about he has this great line that says, you know, we're going to be optimistic about, you know, the vaccine. But vaccines typically take ten or twenty years, and they've been the easy ones. When you think about that, yeah. that's important to keep in mind, and you know, and provide that measured content so everyone's not saying, "Well, we're going to stay, you know, at home until we have a vaccine." Have to have another strategy, you know, if there's not a vaccine. So there hasn't been, you know, one particular type of content that's been consumed, and I think just this is so unique right now in the world that you know folks really are are searching for, you know, good information on COVID and what we have to do and others have to do just to provide it in multiple platforms, recognizing people like to consume it in different ways, whether it's infographic, a video, um, you know, text, you know, what have you, a Q&A, uh, and that's what we've been doing.
0: Well, you know, WebMD has been one of the leaders throughout these last couple of months, and I can imagine how much work went into it. So thank you and your team for that effort.
1: Absolutely.
0: One last question for you, and it's probably the most unfair thing I can ask you, given that the future changes every couple of hours. But, um, you know, what what's next? Um, you know, are our children going to be back in school? Are we going to be going to football games and restaurants and, you know, the Rolling Stones touring again next year? Um, you know, what what is your personal outlook for, you know, how, how this proceeds over the next couple of months and beyond?
1: You know, usually I'm asking to take out their, their crystal ball. You know, I do think a lot depends on what's happening in your local community and what are the infection rates. So New York City is going to be different than Los Angeles, which is going to be different, you know, than Houston and, and you know, smaller cities, um, you know, across the country. I think. Schools are not going to completely reopen. We're seeing that. I think most schools are going to have some type of hybrid, some days in class, some virtual learning. You know, we've already heard some will have, you know, all virtual learning. I don't think we're going to see activities where we have large gatherings in terms of sports. I think we're going to see more of a discussion about the understanding of risk and how do we communicate risk. My own belief is that we're not going to have a vaccine, you know, in, in a few months and to be able to distribute it to billions of people around the world uh, is tough. You know, I want to be hopeful like everyone else. So I think we're really going to have to determine a strategy of how do we have a new normal while at the same time protecting those persons who are most at risk. I think we're going to see more improvements, Larry, in terms of the therapeutic options, how we treat it, as opposed to, you know, a safe and effective vaccine that's also appropriate for children. Because even if we have a vaccine, there's a lot of data that talks about a third, half of people may not take it. So how is that going to help? So I think we're going to have this, you know, other new normal, some people are calling it the next normal, you know, at least for the next, you know, six months through the fall. And then I think we're going to have to reevaluate it. You know, the interesting aspect is, and it's great from the way of, you know, public health modeling and everything, we consistently have new data and we have to rely on the data. So I would not have, you know, predicted right now what's happening in, you know, California and Texas and the Sunbelt. So, you know, where is this going to be a month from now? We're going to, you know, have more data to see, but it's unrealistic to think that in any, short period of time of several months that we're going to be back to pre-COVID. I think we're going to be in this state for many months and we're going to have, you know, a recognition that we need to think about how do we, you know, return to some sense of normalcy while mitigating risk for those people who, you know, are most susceptible to catching COVID and, and having a bad outcome.
0: I mean, is is that one of the things that is such a disconnect for so many people? The idea that there isn't going to be that, well, you take a shot, you're okay. You know, I mean, the idea that it's going to be around, well, how much risk is an acceptable level of risk rather than, you know, all or nothing. Um, I mean, is that some of the reasons we're having such a troubling time as a society coping with this?
1: Absolutely. I, I don't think we're having leadership that is really laying it all out for people in a way that they can understand and then making rational recommendations so what's even frustrating is you know we'll talk about the issues of transmission in kids and we'll have statements from the aap we'll have statements from you know infectious disease society and then someone will pull out you know some doctor maybe not in the you know, the field that doesn't see patients and they'll have an <laughs> opposite opinion and then they're all equal, but but they're not. Um, and, you know, I hear people that will say, but I am concerned, you know, that I might get it or, or my child might get it. And that's a concern, but you have to put it in the concept of risk in relation to other aspects. And then what are the consequences of not returning to school, not reopening up, the economy. And I'm not saying you know we should do all of those things, but we're not really having those discussions in a thoughtful way, talking about, we, we have to be honest, there's never no risk in any activity. We certainly want to minimize that risk and keep it as low as possible. And I think there's ways that can do that. But we also don't want the untoward consequences as well. And I think we're starting to see some of that in terms of substance abuse, mental health disorders, you know, delay of care in terms of people not getting, you know, cancer screening, people not going in for heart attacks and strokes. So we need to address all of this, you know, comprehensively and not piecemeal, which is what I think we're doing. And then everyone at the end of the day is just saying, well, you know, I have my own opinion, but, but we have to come to some rational, you know, planning process. And and I don't think we're there yet.
0: These are interesting times. And thank you so much for coming here to uh, help make some sense of them for us. Uh, You know, I've I've told you this a bunch of times that I always feel smarter after we talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. You know, you always ask me tough questions and you never give them to me ahead of time. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we're tricky that way, you know? (laughs) Yes, I always enjoy you know, the dialogue and, and certainly all that, that you and your teams are doing and getting out good information. It's, you know, as I said, it's, it's a unique time. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, you and your team's leadership as well and, and really raising awareness of what are potential solutions as well to, to managing it. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. Hey, let's get another one of these on the calendar for a couple months from now.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully we'll have new stuff. (laughs) Amen. Everybody, that was Dr.
0: John White from WebMD, one of our favorite guests. John, thank you so much for this and um, hope you and yours continue to be safe and well.
1: You as well. Thank you, Larry. All right. And for
0: the MM MM&M podcast, this is Larry Dobrow. Um, We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening and be well.